0: Yo, people, welcome to Brandtrepreneur, the platform that inspires the action needed to build a disruptive brand and impact the universe. Of course, I am Matt Thorne,
1: a.k.a. Sketchy Media. And I'm Phil Chemish, a.k.a. Phil Chemish.
0: This week, I'm fucking amped because we've got the first ever female founder on the show. And this is someone we've looked up to for a long time. And I'm really happy she managed to come and grace the living room to
1: share some great coffee with us. Philly, why don't you tell us who's on this week's show? Mate, we've got someone with a great story. She's amazingly hardworking and has built a global online platform with a million creatives and some of the biggest global brands as a marketplace connecting them together. It's the co-founder of Talent House, Maya Bogle.
0: Yep, she's built a fantastic business. She talks to us about how she is disrupting the advertising industry with the gig economy, how she's raised over 30 million while building a business in her 40s.
1: And how she missed out on moving into an office with me and you.
0: Yeah, she did. She did indeed. Let's get right into it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Brandtrepreneur. Today, we have the fabulous, marvelous Maya (laughs) Bogle on the show. She is the co-founder of Talent House, which is a platform that connects creators, influencers, and brands. Thank you so much, guys, for having me today. Incredible. A real
3: treat, absolute treat, and coming to the lovely studio. A treat that. for
1: us. Look at this, turned up, looking radiant and <laughs> pink. I've got a, like, you know... I've and it's chucking down the game. rain
3: outside. I thought I had to make a bit of an effort and put a bit of spark, a bit of sunshine in, hopefully. You definitely brought the glitz to the podcast,
0: <laughs> Oh, for yeah. sure. Thank you good oh. job it's filmed otherwise it would uh, be wasted <laughs> <laughs> we've made
1: it an audio visual experience just for you for this oh I love it uh, Honors, honors, respect thank you see, always selling this is it this is the first <laughs> tip from Maya that Maya taught me um so we've known each other for a little while so it's, it's, it's nice to have you on the show we've kind of probably known you for seven years now yeah we almost moved into your office and I wish you had done ago. actually
3: I think we could see even then there was lots of different ways that we could work together yeah but we never quite made that work but we've just been dipping and dipping out over the last what
0: seven years yeah absolutely we kind of all I had a common goal I think at that time we were working as a influencer platform we had an influencer platform and you know the work that you were doing in terms of you know working with influencers and creators I think we had a kind of common objective in terms of what we were all trying to achieve and that was really nice to see that you were actually building a business that had a, a bigger vision to create some impact and I think that's actually where we should Start. just dive into that you know what what was the initial problem or the opportunity you saw which is what spawned the idea of Talent House?
3: Um, really good question. I think it was really about the power of creatives and the need that creatives had to really have their work seen, to have it loved, to have it recognised, and ideally for them to make money from their creative work. And we recognised that there was an increasing problem that whilst technology is clearly a creator's friend, mm. allows more people to create work, it was actually making it hard in some ways for them to sell their work. You might say, "Well, how? how? That doesn't kind of add up." You know, know, why on earth will technology stop creators from selling their work? It's really because now the consumers can stream all the music in the world for about ten pounds a month. You can probably rip off an Andy Warhol from the web and have it blown up and hung in your sitting room, and the Andy Warhol estate makes no money. So it's really tough if you're a musician or a photographer or a filmmaker in Venice Beach or Peckham or San Paulo, or Mumbai trying to actually sell your work. So we right. recognise a big problem for the global creative community. And we yeah. really wanted to do something about that. Oh. So the,
1: sorry, and, when, and when, when was this? This is like, you know, Talent House has been around almost 10 years now. So was this, you know, something you highlighted from the very beginning,
3: um, the, the very very original founder of Talent House. Yep. I first met him in 2007, and he was an artist himself, a musician, and he really understood the the problem that creators were having, but also the opportunity that creators could have in shaping how people felt about things. Because you could argue that creatives, in many ways, are the people that can shape popular culture. Yep. They can really help you think about fashion, music, trends, where you want to live, where's cool and what's not cool. So actually, creators have got this incredible Ability to influence and to change the way
1: that people feel about things. Amazing. Do you, do you remember the very first kind of deal that was done on the platform? Because the platform basically, if people don't understand, it has a, a community of ama- amazing creatives across how many different verticals is it? like just maybe um, a little explanation make, Give us on. the
0: numbers.
3: Like what, <laughs> yeah. what well, do they look like? It's quite incredible, guys. Yeah. You know, it's taken us nine years to do this, but our creative community is a hundred percent our biggest and most powerful, most wonderful asset, and the thing that we love and respect and nurture the most. So, we've now got nearly a million creators around the world. We're actually in, I think, 175 markets across the world. And those creators come from art, from film, from fashion, from music, from photography. Some of them are actually just good at creating concepts and ideas, or they could be just influencers as well. Yeah. So,
0: there those, so you hit a, well, a million creators globally no. now. How long has it taken you to get to a million? Just so we've got a bit more context in terms of the journey. Yeah. So... Is it, is, ten years, is it 10 years oh, old? And 10 years next year, which is going to be like
3: a really big year for us. But it's taken a while. Because you can imagine when you first launch a platform, you've mm. got nothing. You've got no creators at all. So when we very first launched, we launched with um, a creative opportunity, which was a brief to the, creative, the global creative community to come and join Talent House and find out how they could work with some big names. So we launched with Nomi Campbell. Can you believe it? Oh, wow. She was a nightmare to work with. I can tell you,
1: absolutely. <laughs> Everything they say about her is true. And I guess next week, so uh, sorry. <laughs> sorry about that.
0: Can- cancel Naomi for next week. Cancel Naomi Shop for next that. week. No Naomi,
3: cancel her. <laughs> but so. we had um, added, added us on the platform too, which is an incredible... Well, from the beginning? Yeah, literally. It's the first brand I brought in. I was like, woohoo, yes. Wow. Just one of the biggest brands in the world. And that really, really helped. Because every time we launch a creative brief or an opportunity for the global creative community that inevitably helps to grow your community numbers yeah. because the brand or the celebrated icon. So we work with big cele- celebrities too f- yep. across particularly the music industry. So we've had everyone on from, oh my God, Fotech to Justin Timberlake to, um, oh my God, Childish Gambino to So What did
0: you do Queen? with someone like uh, Childish Gambino, for example? Like um, how, how does it actually work?
3: So we would work with the label who is trying to normally promote either a tour or an album or a release, and they would come to us saying, Look, we recognize the power of creatives in actually not just producing creative work, but in also sharing that work with their communities, their friends, because creatives tend to be almost mini influencers and sometimes big influencers yeah. in their own right. So, the Childish Gambino piece that was to actually create a tour poster from memory, it's a few years ago, and we had some stunning, absolutely gorgeous posters which they then featured as part of an out of home campaign which is stunning so it's they really actually lovely.
0: used the content that was created by the community yep. in their wider campaign which gives the artist or the creator exposure but also assists the artist in yeah you know, you know their creative output
3: totally and what we believe is really important is that when um, an either a celebrated artist or a brand actually creates an opportunity for an aspiring artist to partner or to work with them by producing content for them that's the start of a beautiful journey. There's a little bit of glue there. Mm. And by giving someone back that opportunity, you're actually creating a beautiful relationship. So it's a start of, uh, you know, almost a start of a content marketing campaign too. Because as soon as that creator looks at the brief, they're really thinking about the brand or the icon they're going to be partnering and working for. They're looking at their existing work, looking at their social channels, looking at their materials and thinking, what kind of work can I produce? which they're going to like. Yeah. So it's it's incredible.
1: And and Chartless Gambino, I guess, this probably was before maybe the last few years of him really like accelerating his career. So you taking artists as, uh, you know, up-and-coming artists, established people. How does that... What does the kind of that side look like in terms L- of... This?
3: Literally right across the boards so when we work with the labels, we we've worked with literally some of the biggest artists in the world, everyone from some of the, you know, the big icons from you know, Florence and the Machine to Paloma Faith to, to Queen to um, even people like Kylie Minogue and take that and, and it, j- just about everyone you can imagine in the creative music space across all genres of music too. We've worked with the Bob Marley Foundation. We've worked with every type of music you can imagine. Um but obviously a lot of the labels are very keen to help push their b you know their b acts or their further ones down and so we would actually work with them to really help them by really delivering content and a content marketing solution
1: yeah Great. So I want to chat a little bit about the initial structure. So you, you're a part of a team of the co-founders. So there was you and two other people. So like how does how does that relationship work? How did that work at the beginning? Was it kind of everyone had a different skill set? Why did you come together in that, that formation?
3: It's quite interesting. I think when you're founding a company in an ideal world, you look to other founders who aren't just in your own like because I think a lot of people make the mistake of actually just partnering up and budding up with people who are almost you know, mirror, image, mirror images of themselves. To so actually the three original people who sort of set up sort of Talent House, um, Amos being the actual founder, then Roman and myself as co-founders, we um, came from very different backgrounds. So Amos was a musician, and his passion was creativity and music. Roman was a technologist, and he almost like the architect. He really saw what we needed to build in terms of what the structure of the company looked like and where we should be going. And my background was really, I was like the dirty sales girl. <laughs> so really background in media, advertising, in marketing, sales, and communication. So I had a huge number of contacts across agencies and across brand partners and also other media partners too. So those three elements
0: seem to work quite well together yeah and i suppose there was kind of instagram as a platform back then wasn't really the instagram it was now right so going back 10 years people probably weren't building massive followings for like their artistic talents or building their own niches within the creative industries on a platform like instagram that have had their own behance portfolios i imagine like different platforms to showcase their creative work so actually you probably filled a bit of a gap there quite early before the the tide changed in terms of the technology that was available for people to get exposed. Definitely.
3: I think back in the day, this was really just as the proliferation of digital channels was really starting. I mean, Facebook didn't launch until, what, 2003 or yeah. it was Twitter but like 2005, something like yeah. that. So launching... Remember, the idea came around as early as 2007, so... No very, very, There was, like, no, no Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. There was no Twitter, virtually. Yeah. And so it was really... This inception of the idea is around about creatives want to exhibit, creators make the best content in the world. And I think our core beliefs have never altered at all. So the core beliefs that really founded Talent House. One was that creators make the best content in the world and they want to exhibit. They've got inherent desire to show their work, to gain approbation for it, to gain recognition for it, for people to love it, to see it. And ideally, they want to make money from it too. But often we've learned over the last nine years that money isn't just the only thing at all that creators are motivated by. So the core belief was around creatives and then the second core belief was really around creating that platform for them which gave them that exposure, recognition, listening to what they wanted but then recognising that there was a commercial
0: opportunity there too. Absolutely, if I if just throw back to myself back in 2005, um when i just left university and i was a designer at that point in in my lifetime the only the only opportunity i saw that was going to really help further my career was my space because it was the first place i could showcase my creative work yeah. but actually network it with people that i could get it in front of and I suppose the network piece was what was really um, important in that. And like we're saying, it's before Instagram, the fact that you guys were networking those talents and connecting the people to that network was probably really powerful. And the timing must have been absolutely perfect for you guys. Is and is that did that go some way helping you get like the Adidas on board from early? um i believe it did because right at the very outset we believed and we encouraged our
3: brand partners to recognize that, that creatives had great powers of influence and we really that was one of our you know ultimate overriding beliefs that creatives made great content and they had great influence in distributing and sharing that content with their fan base and their followers and their friends so i think what we were trying to do was to really create almost like a social network for creators and recognising that if you built a platform which was free for them, so we've always been free for creatives to join Talent House, that you could actually allow them to exhibit their work and you could almost help teach them in how to build their own brands, how to actually market themselves. Because back in the day, there used to be a left brain, right brain sort of controversy, which is Mm. creators can't possibly sell. Yeah. And they used to hate brands. Brands almost like the pariahs upon creativity and creators didn't really want to work necessarily with brands. But now I really believe that creatives recognise that brands can be almost like the modern day digital Medici's. Yeah. They can be great enablers, yeah. Yeah. great facilitators, they can be great sources. Great amplifiers of, of Amplifiers and great sources of income. And going back to the earlier points I made that, you know, it's quite hard to sell your work now as a creative. There is so much competition. And Whilst it's free to get your work out there, how do you actually sell it when people can steal so much of the, you know, yeah. of the work for free? Yeah. Um,
1: let's, let's chat a little bit about the commercial because you talked about the modelling. And when did you start thinking about the money side of the business? Was it initially you went, this is how we're going to make money? Or was that a kind of like, let's get it for the customers or the, the the creatives first and then switch it into business. How was that?
3: Um, the two sort of came along simultaneously. So our brand purpose was very much about supporting and nurturing creators in helping them getting their work seen recognised and rewarded, and really at every stage of their career, not just for students, not just for young kids, but literally for every creator for every stage of their career. So that was our kind of real brand mission, our brand purpose. But our commercial goal was really anchored around the belief that creators make the best content and the proliferation of digital channels in the mid 2000s really coincided with brands requirement for more creative content. Uh, more creative work not just content because let's face it there's tons of the stuff around there's no shortage of content you know, there's billions and billions of pieces being uploaded every day but there's a real dearth of beautiful cutting through um, personalized engaging authentic creative work that brands can use and we feel that creators can help with that
0: what what would what did that um, model look like right so we talk about obviously brands it's a, it's a marketplace how when you first set up the business did you approach with the team modeling out the financial side of it not from in terms of the business but in terms of the revenue like how do you reward creators how do you price the work and that must have been the biggest catalyst to the business model is how you arbitrage that exchange really good
3: question and i think in many ways we haven't really got completely the right answer for that yet because there's no precedent really for how much is a yard of creative work yeah because one of our initiatives can honestly generate anything from if you're doing an open source creative invite and I'll talk a bit about the process if you want me to later but there are some briefs that we run which basically go to the whole global creative community and we can literally deliver anything from 300 to three or four thousand pieces of creative work now clearly a brand is not going to pay 3,000 times what (laughs) they would pay uh, Adam and Eve or a Abbott mead or a bbh yeah. or a sarchies for one piece of work so there was no real precedent for how much does all of that creative work cost so we had to really think about the model in terms of a platform fee a fee which talent house would take yeah. and then a creative bursary fee which would be a creative amount of money rewarded yeah. to the creative community of the work that was yeah. used by the brand
0: and uh, it's up to them if they want to um, uh agree with that fee if that works for them and they want to work for that fee so you've kind of alleviated the, the
1: yeah. pressure I intent. really like that model I think it's a very clever yeah. way of being yep. able to say here's a bursary and it's available if the creative if your creativity would apply yeah and I think that works quite well and is it like you know just from a feedback point of view how many people can go for one bursary is it specific or can anyone apply
3: and we work in a number of different ways we yeah. can either work in what we call black book clothes way which is when we work in a more hand-picked curated way with a certain part of our community so we might work with a brand who wants complete confidentiality um, a secret hidden brief and they just want to work with a handful of different creators in different markets with certain specific creative skills whether it's across photography or filmmaking or design or fashion etc other brands really want the whole marketing initiative they want to be able to tell the world that we're going out with this brief to the global creative community and that in itself is a start of like a marketing story to actually go out and tell people about what you're doing And in that case you could have literally as I said thousands of pieces of work coming through what we're very careful to do is to make sure right at the outset the creative community know exactly what's expected of them what the rewards are what the deadlines are what the creative assets are what the brand guidelines are what the do's and the don'ts are the worst thing we've ever done is to make it too open like hey send in your moments of happiness which we did with Coca-Cola once that was just awful <laughs> so <this> is t- <laughs> that
1: touch on that so oh, okay. like i <laughs> like a story when things go wrong <laughs> oh my i God. think we can learn a lot from we've the failures. we've got we t- we've got a
3: lot of that i mean um, one thing that we've really learned over the last 9 years is it's all about the brief you really have to respect the creative community and come up with a proper, credible, authentic, creative brief. Just as you would brief your creative agency. And often that brief may have come from the creative agency. It might be an extension of the work that they're doing, which is what it normally is. There might be an amplification. So the agency might have produced one hero piece of work, one stunning, gorgeous piece of advertising. But we all know multiple channels, mul- multiple markets, you yeah. need so much more than one piece of work Keep the now.
1: conversation going with creativity. So you ha- really do. talk about this uh, Coke uh, example, because oh. I think that'd be quite interesting as a okay. when well, Coke does it wrong, I mean.
3: Well, this was for one of the World Cups. I think it was the one eight years ago, not four years ago. Yeah and it started off as a really credible brief for a creative to go into a studio to have sort of some work recorded with a senior producer and it sounded like a really credible brief and then as we were closer and closer to Finishing, finalising details, getting ready to launch. They started moving the goalposts literally. And they talk about World Cup, it's a nightmare. And um, it became more and more of like a UGC user generated content piece of creative. And it was awful. It ended up literally with a brief which was send in your moment of happiness around the world cup or something and you just can you imagine the kind of work you got through <laughs> it was like you <laughs> know was he, it? No, it was like kind of his uncle fred sitting on the sofa with a bag of chips or, <laughs> you know, and there was another girl jumping up and down in her bed and the work that came through was not from creators it was just really from it was like you know just consumer yeah. i think it's it, was a really like, in- it was really yeah. from the crowd and you know some people talk about crowdsourcing. we don't believe talent house is crowd it's all about working with the global creative community. It's a curator's community of creators, not the crowd.
0: Off the back of that, did you have to refine anything within the platform? Was there some of the features that you had to change to allow that to not happen again like what was the action Um, you took to to fix that
3: and we, we, we grew a set of balls and going back to football analogies again and we actually learned to say no and so over time we've really learned how to engage the global creative community in an authentic way in a way that they're going to love and they're going to respond and they're not going to go oh my god that really sucks that's just brands taking the mickey yeah this is a horrible speculative brief from brands who aren't going to pay us the right amount of work right amount of money for the work so we've really learned how to write that brief so we've become quite a safe pair of hands for our brand partners and we do push back now we'll say that isn't gonna work you have to trust us if you launch that it's just not going to get the kind of work you want back
1: I think that's a really important part of your journey and growing any business I think the ability which you pulled out here to say no Mm. because not all work is the right work and secondary to that, the fact that when you brief something, we get it from an agency point of view, a brand briefs us, and the, br- the brief just isn't good enough. And you, you're only as good as a brief. You're absolutely right. Um, I think those are two really important points for anyone working in the creative space that you've taken and as part of your journey
0: so we're, we're nearing your 10th birthday um so let's just look back on what it was like in the first year before your first birthday when you were a baby baby business how <laughs> how did how was it born how did it come about so there was three of you guys that started it but what was all of your situations individually because i think a lot of people are always reluctant to to take the first step into building a business so they don't understand how to do that. People don't understand that they necessarily might have to work in their spare time and juggle other jobs. Like what were you guys what was your situation at that time? Well at that time I actually left my business. I had a celebrity product placement company, so I was putting,
3: you know brands on the backs of celebrities mainly backstage at music events like wireless and the Anime awards etc loads of fun but a ton of lovely celebrities dizzy rascal was amazing yeah he's quite a laugh but, but and then um, roman my co-founder his background was really product and technology and he just had a successful exit with his company which is a voip company Voice over internet protocol and he'd sold his company jar jar to telefonica And the other original founder, Amos, was a passionate, you know, creator and um, musician. And he'd had a a brief stint as a creative director as well at GUM, which was sort of Saatchi's below the the line kind of, you know, um, sort of brand invention place. Um, We all threw ourselves into it. Straight in. Yep. This became an absolute full time passion.
1: And who invested the first bit? Was it the guy that had sold his agency or was it all of you went, we're going in? How did that structure? Um, it,
3: was, it was Roman, my co founder, who yeah. was the first big investor into it. But then we raised some corporate money too.
1: At the same time? Yeah. So he so went double raise. He was yep. an investor and a shareholder and working.
3: And we, exactly. So we literally were fully vested in and we wow. built quite quickly. We ended up initially being a Mountain View headquartered company. We had one office, which is in Mountain View. So technically speaking, I was working for Silicon Valley company, which is quite weird. You know, coming from, you know, lovely, sunny Barnes and, yeah. you know, very sleepy part of Barnes and <laughs> London, I can tell you, yeah. and to suddenly this, this Silicon Valley Mountain View address. you? Yeah, I was used to go over there very regularly and it was just bizarre going to, if you are not been to Silicon Valley, you must go. It was quite crazy. Um, And so we literally started to build the team quite quickly. And in many ways, I think one of our very big early mistakes was building a team too big too quickly, trying to open up too many offices and just moving beyond pace. And I think that's a lot of mistakes that a lot of startups make is, you know, you raise some money, you feel woohoo. Cash rich, let's go out spend and it. spend it. We need to be demonstrating growth and demonstrating that we know what to do with the money that we've raised. And I think in many ways, my advice would be to anyone who's raising money, is several bits of advice. Firstly, really think about who you go to. A lot of people believe that actually go to someone where you just take a loan and they don't have any share of your company at all. But get yourself into a place where you just get a loan, you pay that loan back and they've got no hold, no call upon your company. You don't have to report into them. You Mm -hmm. don't have any responsibility to them as shareholders or investors. So that's definitely one route to go. And I think people should always look at that as an option. It might
0: help you make more responsible decisions when it comes to spending, right? Because you're looking at it as your own money. Yeah.
1: Which Roman was. Yeah. So probably in a way, maybe at the beginning was very helpful to have somebody who invested because he's very much going, this is my money. I guess as soon as you bring in external people who just want to see growth, you're then put under pressure.
3: Exactly, once you're answerable to a board of investors, it's, you know, it's, a, lot, it's a much tougher business, yeah. and that sometimes can take up a huge amount of time too. Um, I'm an investor myself as well, I've put everything in I've got. Talent House is my baby, yeah. and this baby's gonna, yeah. it's moving up from being an errant toddler to a teenage, it's yeah. almost ready to leave home. So first thing, think about going to banks. Secondly, go to investors who um, you think can actually be st- will help you with strategy. I think strategic investors are really important. Don't just chase the money. Yeah. I think if you can actually go to find people who can actually help your business, who understand the market that you're operating in, have got some powerful insights or processes or systems or just resources that you can actually use, or connections. There's lots of different ways that people can help your business too. Um, so lots of challenges around you know, reporting back to investors, keeping people happy and constantly not taking your eye off what the actual business is too. And yeah. that business evolves yeah. as well.
0: You you have a creative community helping to build other people's brands, yeah. but it's the same community of people that are building your brand. Like Talent House for me is a brand because it stands for something and you represent a community of people. And I suppose you've built a considerable amount of brand equity yourself with those creative communities. So how have you grown your own brand Externally, Have you been sponsoring events? Like how have you actually built the brand side of Talent House? Because I suppose that's the self-perpetuating cycle that you need to get more creatives on board to push past a million users.
3: That's a really good question. We've done very, very little at all in the B2B marketing space. And we're working with the most incredible brands and competitive brands, so P&G and Unilever, Adidas and Nike, Pepsi and Coke, Marriott and Meridian, Porsche and Mercedes, um, Diageo, Pernod Ricard, um, Heineken, William Grant, um, Airbnb. Oh my God, our brand list is to die for. Yeah. And that's really down to, I think, a lot of hard work by our commercial team. We've Action, and also the work that comes through from our campaigns. So I think a lot of our brand building has actually been by the actual work we're delivering. People are starting to pick up on the fact that you don't just have to get the best creative ideas from a creative agency or in-house teams. You can get that global strategy, but that local execution, I think is something which brands yeah. need to do more and more.
1: Yeah, I really like that. I think there's a really interesting point in there about where is that line between you being a platform and an agency? and Is there a line and how does that work with agencies? Great question. And we've really been struggling with that because um,
3: at times I feel that our company's just grown too big too quickly and we've got too much headcount. How many is the headcount now? Um, The headcount's probably pushing.
2: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
3: up for about 50 which may not sound like a lot but it seems like a lot because we just know that we really wanted to build this platform-based approach to delivering creative solutions for brands where we were answering four big issues that brands are facing one was around volume of work the other was speed of ta- turnaround of work the other was cultural relevance of the work and then obviously the cost and price of that work yeah. and what we don't want to do is to build an agency network
1: so 10-year journey, um, I want to touch on a little bit about the some of the challenges you might have faced and some of the actions you took to get out of those. Because, you know, you've done a, a great job at raising money and building the business globally. I think you've raised almost nearly 30 mil, maybe somewhere around there.
3: A lot, we've raised a lot of money over the last nine years, that is for sure. And we've probably made lots of mistakes along that way, trying to expand too quickly, open up into too many different territories. Um, focusing on different maybe third party sellers who could sell our platform better than we could but they didn't and so a lot of that trying new ideas and trying new methods but then thinking that doesn't actually work so then always coming back to your core beliefs and that's where I think the relentless nature of a founder and that sort of entrepreneurial spirit is the stuff which will see you through so stick to your core beliefs really think about what they are and don't really deter to, to away from those but then what you might have to do is evolve your business model to adapt and cope with changing market forces
1: what's been your biggest single challenge is there one that keeps reoccurring is there one that sticks out in your mind to be like I, I i thought about maybe stopping and you got through it is there one moment that you feel in the 10 years
3: I'd say the biggest challenge has been in educating the existing stakeholders in the advertising industry. And that, for me, has been the biggest recurring challenge that we've had from day one. So the advertising industry traditionally has always felt that the domain of creativity fell to the creative agency. And anything outside of that was seen as dirty, nasty, cheap, scuzzy kind of crowdsourcing So that was something which we've consistently had to challenge and to prove ourselves against time and time again. And initially we put a lot of our resources into targeting agencies, but the creative agencies just didn't want to know. They're like, hell hell no, we do creative. And the media agencies- Yeah, there's always a competitor or something. they didn't even see us as a competitor. I think they just saw us a little irritant, which they didn't really want to engage with. And then the media agency said, love the idea of having more creative work we can use for dynamic creative optimization or for programmatic. But we're not quite sure where to put you on a media plan because creative normally comes from the creative agency. At least we we get
0: more creative
3: now. I know. (laughs) So it was nuts. So we're in this like no man's land. So we then redirected more of our efforts into Brands Direct. And that's where we've had huge... Success. So, about 90% of our business is brand direct.
1: Incredible. Good news
3: is the agencies are starting now to come back to us to talk to us. So, recently we did a campaign with um, Omnicom Media Group for mcdonald's um a campaign for um mindshare for fox Uh, and i think we're about to launch a campaign with or we have just launched a campaign with isabel part of dentsu Aegis network for general motors so Mm -hmm. the agencies have recently just started to re-engage us and we did one with bbh for unilever and another one for lambion air for o2 so the agencies are finally going do you know what you 're not an irritant yeah. <laughs> you 're not actually just something we don 't know what to where to put on an immediate plan. You can actually be an ally. You can help us, you can support us, you can give us access to that cultural cut through you know, creator that's going to stop that thumb scrolling.
0: I can still imagine there's a lot of agencies and some of the old dinosaurs out there that still don't want to have any of it and still want to own that whole process. I mean, we come against them all the time yeah. in, in some of the work that we do, especially from the influence perspective. So you must still have a lot of friction. I can't imagine that it's completely gone away. Absolutely. And, and what's
1: the budget line you're taking? Who are you taking out? Because ultimately as mm. a business, you're there's only a certain marketing spend. Mm. So is there a Wh- budget? Where line? are the
0: brands finding that money to yeah. give to you guys?
1: Influences. Correct, Who are you robbing? I <laughs> do Who are you you stealing from? (laughs)
3: We're trying to go after every pot of money. It's a really interesting question. Some of it's coming from like social media budgets. Sometimes it is coming from production budgets or could become from content budgets.
1: And influencers.
3: And now we're recently um, moved into the space of influencer marketing because we were a little bit blind. We were producing all of this creative work. We'd no idea how the brands were using it, how effective it was, what kind of cut through they were getting, who was seeing the work. And so we were sort of, you know, cut off at the point that we delivered this huge body of creative of work so when the final stages of acquiring an influencer marketing company we love them to be it's great technology and they can do some really cool stuff with actually attribution so getting influencers to swipe up with this card and then that goes into your ios wallet or android passbook etc on your phone and you can then use that in store to drive people in store for promotions and offers so like a real completing that 360 circle
0: Interesting. interesting yeah I need to know more about that, I know, it's a, really exciting. We're very sounds. excited
3: about because then you've got you know, you've got the connection to the creators. Is that from your content. Content. from your own app? Well, that um, uh, no, how does that that, work? that's through the influencer marketing company which we're about to acquire. Right. So it's very very exciting, and we do believe that kind of completes the whole loop of you know connecting a brand to a creator, then producing the work, taking the best of that work, getting an influencer to share that work to the ultimate target market of the brand, and then
0: getting that influencer
3: to actually serve. A card which can push right through to store as well. So
0: how does that bit work? What's the? How does the card piece work? Um,
3: well, it's literally if, if you're on Instagram, you can literally influence can share a piece of content. And they can say swipe up. You swipe up, and the card literally goes directly into your passbook Cool in your wallet. That's, that's
1: great. Which is really <laughs> Love cool. that. So let's let's chat a little bit we about that. we kind of <laughs> yeah where you've come from um, to where you are now. Um, we talked you touched on a little bit about accusi- acquisitions yeah. um, and. Interestingly, you've gone from raising money to now buying businesses. Mm. How has that transition been and when did that that process start? That process started
3: um, about a year ago. We recognised that we wanted to diversify our offering. We wanted to focus on building our creative community because we felt creators were absolutely the most important thing we could do. And our ambition, I suppose, is to build the largest collective of creative minds in the world and a collective of creatives that want to help brands shape their marketing communications. And that's a really powerful positioning, we believe, because we do believe creatives got the ability to produce work that's going to inspire and provoke emotion and passion and build brand affinity and brand love.
1: chatted a little bit earlier on um, before this on gig economy mm-hmm. and the kind of future of how creatives work. And that's something your platform has kind of, I guess, inspired for the last 10 years. You kind of built on that. Ambition. So, can you chat a little bit about what you think that could be the future of? How can advertising tap into gig gig economy?
3: I think the gig economy is is being demonstrated. I mean, I hate to use Uber and Airbnb as examples, but I mean they're probably the both the best, better known examples of how that gig economy and sharing shared economy can work. And creators are absolutely prime for that. Movement and that marketplace because it allows them to work independently it allows them to work in addition to another paid job That they might have and it allows them to access briefs and opportunities from literally every corner of the world from different brands So I do believe that this sort of open source model is a fantastic way to support the gig economy And allowing creators to make more money and to have their work seen by more people
0: what's your ideal play with talent house would it be to be acquired by is there somebody that you think they would acquire us or do you want to just keep growing and growing and acquire everybody else like what, <laughs> what do you want to do it's um, interesting we talk about the gig yeah. economy mm. with um you know task rabbit for example yeah. ikea acquired mm. TaskRabbit rabbit to be their their arm of being able to do home installation and stuff yeah. and that was actually a really smart uh, move for ikea And it's left a gap for someone else to come through. I think Airtasker would be the other guys that I came Mm -hmm. through. So do you want to be acquired or do you want to acquire more? I think we'd probably like both. And I think those two don't
3: have to work completely in conflict with each other. So we're already talking and exploring other creative communities that we recognise there's huge benefit for them to sort of align themselves to the talent house sort of super brand, if you like, with all these different brands sitting underneath it. Um, Because we've got those relationships now with brands, we're building more relationships with agencies. We can act as a very smart technology platform to engage brands on a B2B level, but still recognise how we can support and nurture creators. Um, Ultimately, do we want to be acquired? Probably, yeah. Who? And, who, would, who would be? Well, there's a few potential people I think would be daft not to look at us. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to think we're too big for an agency group to acquire us now because I'd like to think that even the WPPs and Denti Regis Networks or even, you know, Sir Martin Sorrell and his own now... Would find us too big to acquire and i think they're daft for not making that move earlier on To so put it out to the
0: universe yeah they give us a name who who um, would it who would it be
3: i think someone like adobe okay yeah you i go. think oh, adobe that they mean they're so they quite they did okay. and they're so focused on really becoming again that centralized place for creatives they recognize the value of creators so i think adobe are a potential um, acquire some like Comcast they've done some very interesting things in that space too with creative communities um, possibly a Google or a Facebook I mean one thing which we thought we could solve for Facebook is if you imagine over 70% of Facebook's business is not from the big super top 50 top 100 brands it's from the millions and millions and millions of small businesses yeah. Yeah. and what do those small businesses need to advertise on Facebook creative they need creative and they're not (laughs) going to. and so for me if I was kind of you know Mark Zuckerberg or any of his team on the commercial side I'd be thinking do you know what this is a really smart way to get much better creative because Facebook are all about trying to improve the user experience and you don't want some nasty dirty scuzzy pop-up ad breaking into your your feed because ultimately consumers like producers you're curating your own feed you don't want to look at that
1: stuff yeah and what does the we'll round up this kind of segment on Talent House and go a little bit more into your personal journey. Um, But (laughs) what is the, you know, 10 years in, what does the shape look like of Talent House of the future? What are you excited about?
3: Um, I'm really excited about growing the creative community Looking at different ways that we can make money for them around merchandising, blockchain, wallet technologies, etc. I really love the idea of us now moving into the influencer marketing space. I do think a lot of brands are kicking back against influencer marketing, saying are they fraudulent, you know, fake followers, you know, are they jumping on Pepsi one week, Coke the next. We spent a lot of time identifying who we wanted to work with in that space, where there's lots of, you know, real certi- certified followers, etc. And everything is sort of authentic. And I think if we can complete that loop of connections to incredible creators, great content, distribution of that content and ultimately impact on sales, that really does become a one stop shop for our brand partners and will keep our community happy too.
1: So have you decided to double down on brand direct and forget agency after 10 years?
3: (laughs) I still think that agencies could scale our business more quickly and we'd love to look at how we can encourage them to work with us. We could even virtually not quite white label our platform, but we could give them their own back-end dashboard where they could start launching their own briefs, writing their own briefs. We're exploring something which we're calling the three-sided marketplace. So not just brands and creators directly, but also looking at how there are now increasingly lots of freelance, you know, account directors yeah. or strategic planners who might want to be able to advise a brand on shaping their communications, but can't source the creative work. Yeah, so really we, interesting. Yeah, so that. we could so we could engage that three sided part of the marketplace that yeah. could scale our business. You'd really
0: be the ultimate way. frenemy, and then the yeah. agencies all yeah. be friends with you because yeah, they're they're a funny bunch, and ultimately you're you are there to take them out at some point because as we've found with a lot of young creators you know especially kind of in the more videography space and cinematography you know there's small outfits of people that are can produce stuff much cheaper much more agile and actually the question for us a lot of the time now is is there a need? What is the role of an agency in the future? So I imagine there is a lot of friction and I don't see that going. And maybe you can alleviate that with the, mm. the white label thing.
3: I think that's that's definitely a possibility. I mean, if, if I was running an agency, um, I think I would fire a lot of people and I'd keep some really brilliant minds inside the agency. I'd want to have the best strat- strategists, the best planners, the best people who can really advise that brand where they need to go. So almost like that McKinsey, Boston consultancy yes. group, Pete. Not just looking at the output, but really thinking about the direction, the strategy—that real piece of hero creative work—then I would outsource to a platform like Talent House. We now need 500 iterations for all of these different markets and channels Mm. to make to give you that personalised, cool creative work. And that's to me a bit about the future of the industry.
0: And I suppose it would make a lot of sense for you guys to, you know. It's probably not a sidestep, but go more into the um, the freelance route as well as the creative route, right? So you can actually build teams that can deliver
1: creative on spec versus commissioning artists. And, and that creative might be a creative director, a videographer, a producer. Absolutely. So when we put together, I mean, our you know our agency was built agile. Our agency mm-hmm. was built around being able to deliver content at pace, and that included having a network of people who were the best in their field me and matt working on strategic elements and then distributing it to people and amplifying it on platforms so our model You've is done very that Brilliantly,
3: similar. and that works so
1: well no, for you guys i can see where yeah. it would work. As the role for us is
0: about helping uh, brands and businesses with their actual business challenges mm. and their commercial challenges ultimately marketing is about driving sales and transactions somewhere and i think the whole agency landscape has kind of muddied that a little bit so they focus on what's the funny ad that we can create to take to tv and that's actually not necessarily always the best thing to do it might be memorable but sometimes there's real big business challenges that mm. teams of smart people need to come together to solve they
3: definitely do and i think the cmo is under increasing pressure from the ceo and the board who's saying is this marketing really working yeah. you know what you know is that the first thing we're going to cut and I think brands equally also getting smarter, they're asking tougher questions of their agencies. They want more transparency over billing. They want things, They want more work. They want it faster. They want it with more cultural relevance and they don't want to pay as much for it. So the <laughs> agencies are under a <laughs> heck of a lot of pressure. Yeah,
0: out yeah, sque- squeezed so out again. The squeezed out. So margins
3: are getting squeezed and squeezed and squeezed. And we'd love to think that we can support that structure. You know, I think our industry is an amazing industry yeah. Yeah. You know, it can really do such wonderful, powerfully, good things. I think
1: it's less about creating an advertising agency and more about an... Sorry. No, it's less about creating an advertising agency but more about an acceleration agency. Like, how do you get things quicker? Because that's the market we're in. Like, there's, yeah. there's, you need pace. And I feel like that's something that when you talk about the struggles you've been through and actually leaning up, to stop the growth and actually focus and double down on what's working is actually probably one of the biggest, you know, areas that I think any Definitely. business needs to, to learn from and I think you've got a good example of thinking about what the future is and then trying to prepare for it now because the future is now. Absolutely. We talk less
0: about advertising and more about earning attention, right? We've got declining attention spans from all of our, the next generation of consumers is getting small, less than six seconds attention span. People will not respond to advertising Mm. in the future for sure. And it's decreasing now. So how do we navigate around that? And one of the things we always say to brands is it's around native content. And I think what you guys are building is that real great hub of people that can create native content at scale and I think you know, you're know you definitely a bubbling pot, of it, it will go in the right way for you guys.
3: Yeah. Thank you I th- I th- we touched on it earlier but having created made by people who can really empathise with the ultimate target audience as well or are actually members of the target audience too, is a huge plus as well, if you're trying to engage the LGBTQ community don't just slap a bloody, excuse my language yeah. um, if you're trying to engage the LGBTQ plus community, don't just slap a, a rainbow yeah. on your logo for Pride Week, I mean that really you know yeah. seriously no there's got to be better ways of doing it so I think you're
1: right it's about that connection and about the human relationships which you talked about you know yeah about technology isn't it it's gonna come and it's gonna change the way we work it already has but you're actually helping with the human connection between a creative and their audience and the brand and the content and I think that's a really beautiful space to kind of be able to work on and something that I um, all agencies and brands need to be thinking about
3: yeah i definitely think that technology isn't defensible and there's also going to be a smarter quicker bit of kit around the corner
1: so in- incredible journey so far and I wanted to touch on a little bit about your personal journey um, I met you, you know we met you seven years ago and I remember you walking into a room and just absolutely owning it and me being like <laughs> who the hell is this woman like can we move in I
3: think <laughs> the first thing we said can we move in with you, yeah. can, you,
1: you yeah. oh, <laughs> can, can you adopt me it was mine uh-huh.
3: and, um, that the best offer I had all week
1: can you adopt me was mine do you remember I got told off for calling you my media mum I'm not allowed to do that anymore you're, oh you're I my, don't mind that you're my, you're my, you're my media sister which oh, is what I'm allowed to say I was say so now.
0: sad we didn't get to move into that little Office with you in the muse. Um, We should have done that. That would have been amazing. It would have been great.
3: Yeah. I do think mentoring and helping people in industry is really important. I've, you know, one of my kind of common beliefs is what you know, what goes around comes around. You should always give something back. I think it's really important to do that.
1: Believe in karma.
3: Yeah, I really believe in karma, and I don't believe in burning bridges with people. I think it's really important to be nice. I think manners are massively overlooked, and there's an awful lot that I think perhaps that younger generation could potentially lose touch with if uh, everything is interfacing with a piece of kit it's very important not to lose that human relation
1: piece completely and you've obviously kept a lot of your network as you've gone through the industry you've been in in this industry and working in marketing advertising for how many years um over 30 i first
3: joined the industry in 1984 so I'm 56 now, wow. and um, so I was very late to sort of coming back into a sort of a startup. Really, I sort of you know past my mid 40s, and it was quite nerve wracking, a big challenge because I was, you know doing quite well with my little product, you know, celebrity product placement company I was never going to make an absolute fortune with it, but it was great. It was lots of fun, 10 gigs a year, and it was you know all cool and tickety boo, but there was something about the talent house vision. And mission and brand purpose which just ignited fire in my belly
0: how did you manage to stay this is going to be one for the female listeners hopefully we get a few of those but how have you what's been your secret to looking so good <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if that's true or not um having
3: mauritian jeans has really helped and my dad bless him um, was 91 when we lost him and he just had incredible skin and you know he had great muscle tone and everything so um i think i eat relatively healthily i probably drink a little bit too much at times but not all the time and so i think mauritian jeans and what but thank you so that doesn't help anybody <laughs> that's
0: not mauritian so great <laughs>
3: But smiling, I smiling. Think, yeah, I, think I, th- I really, smile. really believe that if you've got a positive energy about you and you're a positive person, then that reflects on every part of your life. And even at its deepest, darkest times, of which we had many times at Talent House, when literally we felt we didn't have enough money to pay the team, not, not a money, not, not money to survive or operate as a company, you just keep on digging. You just keep on going for that extra bit of resolve, that extra bit of, you know, innovation. What can we do to solve this problem? Yeah, and-, and you're constantly looking for solutions, not for problems.
0: What do you do if you get to that point where you think that you can't pay anybody? You
3: just dig deep again. You find out who you can go to, you beg, you borrow, you don't really want to steal. But um, I, mean, I use that term very loosely... But, you know, that's where, you know, time and time again, I'd go back to sort of putting money into the company, as did my co-founder. Um, you go to existing investors, you go to potentially new investors, um, you go to factoring companies, because often we were crippled by accounts receivable. So we'd often have lots of money owed to us by, in some cases, agencies when we are working with agencies too. And those payment terms can absolutely cause havoc with cash flow so one big ask I'd make to any big financial directors of big organizations companies or agencies is have better payment terms think about those platforms and those new companies and tech startups where cash flow can really cripple and sometimes kill businesses and we've been lucky we've not been killed we've always managed to survive
1: really really interesting it's something that we suffer from scaling the business as well at the beginning definitely not being able to pay ourselves for a few months because people didn't pay and I remember going around and having to pick up money like cash from a from a, a, a client because we couldn't afford to buy christmas presents second year in and like i said people don't realize those harsh stories so in those really dark moments where everyone's probably doubting yourself and you're doubting yourself obviously affecting your own mental health as an entrepreneur very difficult what are the things you put in place to help with your own mental health and the balance between you and your family like I'd say you go back to your core beliefs around why you
3: actually started the company, what your core beliefs were, and actually the business model, the opportunity. And if those are still sound, which I absolutely believe for Talent House they are, that gives you this huge sense of resolve and comfort, thinking we will get through this. You know there will be light at the end of the tunnel. You take time out if you can, I find that I've got two dogs. So for me, if I literally get to the point where I'm just going stir crazy at a laptop or on a phone, I'll just like down tools for a bit and go out for a walk with the dogs or something. Um, I often talk to my ex-husband, Nigel. He's been an incredible mentor, an incredible source of comfort, wisdom, inspiration, and resource for me. So I do think it's very important for any founder or any startup to surround yourself with really good people. Make sure that when you're building that team, get people that aren't just in your like and don't be afraid to ask for help. Or to be prepared to go to people and say, look, this is where we're at. We need help. Can you give us some advice? Be amazed what people will do.
0: I suppose that's a testament to what you said earlier about not burning bridges, the fact that your mm. ex-husband still... I imagine is still quite close in terms of how he can help uh, shape and give advice to you absolutely we're very very close to each other about four or five times a week <laughs> <laughs> more than before <laughs> Yeah, actually,
3: probably more than we were married and so no he's been an incredible mentor for me across um, well I've known him for over 30 years but particularly for the last nine years of talent house he's a huge advocate and a huge supporter of it too he recognizes that we are doing something extraordinary in the industry and at the heart of it there is real brand purpose and good and altruism serving the creative community but there's a really fantastic commercial model there too
1: great right. and i think um there was a quote that you uh, well maybe a lesson that he had passed down to you that i, um, I listened to one of your podcasts and it, it came across and something that was i found really interesting and maybe a, a tip for somebody it was about um the ability to focus on what you're good at and then leave the things that you're not. I think it's a really interesting point that you made that as you grow up, you're told, try and get better at maths or try and get better at, you know, history, because you're not that good at it, but you don't really double down on the things that you're great at
3: absolutely and i think it's very important again to complement your skills with other people around you've got different skills and i'd always look to hire people who are better than me as you once said to me i think phil if you're the smartest person in the room then you know you're in the wrong room So, so surround yourself with smart people and make sure that you look at what you're really good at you make those peaks higher and the things you're bad at not quite sack them off but certainly find other people who can actually they're better at them than you
0: so let's dive into the Branchpreneur High Fives. And these are our kind of key takeaways that we want to leave our audience with from each of our guests. And, you know, we're all about we we don't want to be about motivating people. We want to inspire action. So we're going to run through the uh, we're going to run through a high five. So the first one, what's something that you can't live without? My mobile telephone, terribly dull, but I couldn't live without it. A book that you would recommend? The
3: tipping point by Malcolm Gladwell, I particularly liked his point around the 80 20 rule, which is 20% of the people tend to influence 80% of the people. And that's very true for what we believe about the creative power of creativity and influences.
0: Completely agree on that. One piece of tech that you'd recommend?
3: We use Slack internally, which is a very cool intranet tool, and it's worth looking at. It's cool. Helps with team collaboration and Absolutely. really gets
0: rid of the shit emails that people have to deal yeah, with. On a day we're
3: trying to, day. to like, you know, back off emails and, you know, use Slack. Although I would say also pick up the phone. Don't be scared to pick up the phone and talk to people. It's massively yeah, it's underrated. And a lot of people hide behind emails, hide behind, yeah. you know, instant messaging, etc. Yeah. And we're building a generation of kids that can sit in a room together and not actually talk, but WhatsApp it on a group. So I'd say pick up the phone, talk to people, ask them
0: email less um, your favourite entrepreneur not very popular by a lot of with a lot of people but
3: I suppose when I was growing up it was Richard Branson um, I, I Branson. just think the version brand is extraordinary
0: in the different ways he's diversified it is quite incredible and lastly uh, your favourite quote or a quote that you live your life by what goes around
3: comes around I really do believe in karma and the the power of positive attitude and positive action and you know not undermining people but supporting people mentoring people giving something back and it's amazing what comes back to sort of, you know serve you further down the line it's like wow you know but don't do it expecting
1: something back it's almost like that pay it forward thing yeah i love that so maya thank you so much for joining been us. an incredible it's guest an incredible thank guest i are- first
0: woman Yes. Really? So, yeah. Hopefully yeah, not, we, the nah, not the last. Definitely
1: <laughs> not the last. We've um you are one of the most passionate um, you know, entrepreneurs that I know, one of the most positive entrepreneurs I know um and i'm i'm really glad we got to interview with you thank hopefully you so the next year's massive and I hope we get an invite to the 10 year the 10 year pie for talent house so just for everyone that wants to maybe connect with you personally and then talent house just give us a little sign off on what that is
3: thank you so much it's maya at talenthouse.com i'm on linkedin maya bogle and um you can find me across most of the social platforms too but it's been absolutely a treat boys thank you not boys gentlemen gentlemen thank
1: you you've so seen us from boys to men so you know. <laughs> thank
0: you so much and, yeah. you know it's, just, it's <laughs> (laughs) been brilliant working with you getting to know you Uh, one last segment I wanted to just drop in I Went out my way last week when I was in Edinburgh to uh, an amazing coffee shop called Fortitude. And they're actually a roaster's. And I thought, what better roast than to deliver you someone who's faced adversity over the last 10 years. So today's coffee was a Fortitude roast. And you like it very milky.
3: I do, actually. And also, um, my mum's from Edinburgh. So that makes it even um, a nicer combination. There you go. So thank that was you very a good much. connection. There you go. Love it.
0: Smashed it. Thank yes. you. Thank, thank you. Mark.
3: Thank you, guys.